to maintain a position or to be steadfast or upright. Um, that's out of 1 Samuel 6.20. So this question is just invoked something or provoked something or anyway it brought to mind something within me when i think when we think about isaiah and and how he acted in the presence of the lord god he didn't stand he was down and coming apart ezekiel saw a very impressive scene of the throne room and and he didn't fare well himself i mean he all of these men that have found themselves in the presence of all the almighty have had to be enabled to remain there. So the question of who is able to stand before this holy Lord God begs the question, well, who then? Who is able to stand? And we looked um, at Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Okay, so we have to understand that God's name is holy. One of the things that bothers me so much in our day and time is I really... I, I struggle a lot with, with, the, with the, act, the activities and actions that are being promoted, the, the, the perversions and the murders and all those things. But really what makes me the most nervous is the disrespect with which God's name is used. Because He will not suffer His name to be profaned. And it's only by His sheer grace, which is great, that will allow a speck of humanity to do that for just a bit. Those men of Beth Shemesh, 50,000, over a little over 50,000 died. It could have been more, couldn't it? And, and back when we were discussing that whole scene, uh, we talked about the ark of God uh, as it was stolen away and and we talked about how the, the presence of God was not with it like it would have been normally because God had withdrawn from His people. Now, we also know that clearly God's presence was still with the ark to a degree because of the adverse effects that happened in the land of the Philistines when the ark was parked next to their gods in their, in their little uh, atrium of gods. Everything bowed. And then, of course, we know that obviously the... The presence of God was there, replete within that nation, whenever they started getting tumors and rats. Okay? And so, there was a great penalty happening, but was it as severe as it could have been in the unfiltered presence of God? No. They would have all been wiped out. And so, when, when this ark was brought back into the people, and these men just were haphazard with God's the object of His presence, okay? Who is able to stand? I guess the question, if we developed it, would be, well, obviously you can't stand in the presence of the Almighty, the Holy Lord God, with pride in you. You can't. You can't stand in the presence of the Almighty with arrogance in you. And you can't stand in the presence of God with no respect for Him in you. You will be consumed. But it still makes me ask this question, what all does it mean? And so I've really tried my hardest with the Scripture to look to search this question out. And so Isaiah 57, 15 kind of says, well, who does God dwell with? Indirectly giving us an answer. Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? Well, one who is contrite and one who is humble. That's who. 
who's able to stand? Because the Bible goes on to say here, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And of course, we know that the word contrite means to crush or to those people who know they have nothing left, they have nothing to prove, they realize who they are as people, full of fault, full of sin, full of corruption, and they fall on their knees because the only way to stand before, the holy, before this holy Lord God is on your knees. You can't stand unless you first kneel, okay? You must be lifted up by God Himself, not brought up by your own idea. So this, this verse out of Isaiah fifty seven fifteen is God dwells, He abides with those specific who are broken and who are humble. Now, are, is brokenness and humility, would you say those are operative words in our culture these days? No. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Do you realize that it's a miracle that we're not all consumed by our own hands right now? With the amount of, of, of contention, resentment, hatred, And the amount of weaponry we have in this country. It's a miracle that we have not turned and consumed ourselves in our own wickedness. God's grace is beyond comprehension in that degree. But as I move forward in this, and I thought, well, I guess we've addressed it. I was reading along in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2 this week. So in honor of God and this fresh word, let's stand and we'll read this together. You won't be on your feet long, but it's out in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2. Closing out the the last chapter of, of Isaiah, I was reading along and here's what it said. For all those things my hand is made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, that sounds familiar, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. Yeah, that I remember that. Now look, look at what God has added. And who trembles at my word. So there's a third element that's been added to that question. God, as we we pause to consider what it means to tremble at your word today. Lord, it's going to be discovery, all right. Because I'm not altogether sure myself still. But I ask you, God, that you would certainly guide this meeting. And Lord, all I want to be is just a water hose here or a hydrant. All that, just just from that which the water flows, the message flows. Please be with my tongue and my head. In Jesus' name, amen. So, isn't that interesting? You're reading along. You think, well, the Bible has answered this question pretty, pretty good. To those who are broken, God will dwell. To those who are humble, that must be it. But no, there's a third one. There's a third element. One who trembles. At my word. This one's been a toughie for me this week. Because we know that whatever scripture says, it says to such depth that we'll never ever be able to ascertain all of it in this life. So, did a little Hebrew here. This is not, hey, red. This is ha-red, okay? And it simply means trembling. We get that from the English translation. But, interestingly enough, in the Hebrew, 
It means vibrating slightly and irregularly as with fear or anxiousness from extreme reverence. Our English versions just don't bring that out. So if you haven't put it together just yet, we are literalists when we approach the Scripture. We believe the Scripture literally is the Word of God, do we not? And we, we believe that the Spirit is how the Lord speak, or the Spirit speaks through the Word of God to us, literally. So what is literally, what is the Scripture saying? It is saying that God dwells in addition to the first two prerequisites of brokenness and humility. God dwells with those who quake, shake with reverential fear before His Word. Isn't that something? Begs the question, how you approach your Bible every day. Makes me think of all those mornings when the coffee's a bit too strong and I'm a bit too comfortable and I casually pick up my Bible and just start reading without regard, perhaps, for what I'm actually doing right now? Why do we stand to read the Bible here? Why is that something we've started doing? Do you have to? Well, you don't have to. But I think anything we can do to invoke respect and reverence for the Scripture, we should do. We've got Scripture on... uh, The signs on the side of the road. What are those called again? Thank you. (laughs) Billboards. We have scripture on our coffee cups. And we have scripture on little stickers and t-shirts. We're around it a lot, right? But when we think of Isaiah 66 too. God says he dwells specifically nearly with those who tremble at it. And the word tremble means... Vibrating slightly and irregularly as with fear or anxiousness from extreme reverence. I've been able to think about this all week. So I have a little bit there to go on. It reminds me of something R.C. Sproul once said. He said, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Yeah, well, I'm going to fix to show you some stats that say that it's true. Everyone is looking for power in a program, in a methodology, in a technique. And I want, you want me to tell you where that is the worst found among clergy? You remember the church growth movement of the 90s, the late 80s and, and early 90s? How to make your church bigger in three, three steps or less or whatever? You know... It was all about bigness. It was all about size. It was all about getting all you can and canning all you get and throwing away the rest and set on the lid. Okay, it was all about making your church the it church. And what what was overlooked there was the very seriousness of the holiness of God 
and the centrality of the Scripture and the fact that God grows His church where His Word is made much of because where His Word is made, made much of, there is a tendency for the people to encapsulate the very trembling that it brings because they believe in their soul as they are sensitized to the Holy Spirit that God is speaking. And they don't care if their church is big. They just want God there. Well, everyone is looking for a power in a program, in a methodology, in a technique, in anything and everything but that in which God has placed it. His Word. I want to tell you something about Christianity in America today. It has been given over with a voracious appetite to the new latest and greatest it thing study whatever to make your church grow to make your church popular god does it in one thing the right exposition and faithful preaching and teaching and ministry of the word i had a hoot in sunday school class today in fact i don't even think hoot is an appropriate word to define how good it was that seems laughable i would say it was a very fluid, reverential conversations about real life in the Scriptures where Peter was dwelling in the lives of us today. It was rich and dynamic. And and you're blessed when you do that. Where God's Word is ministered, you receive from it. And that trembling part, when we think about it, that occurred now here I, you know if if you say well if you were really literal you would be up here going god that's not but there is a thing happening inside my soul that i realize that i have to be very careful about what i say well rc sproul goes on to say god alone has the power to change lives for eternity and that power is focused on the scriptures. How many times have any of you been, you know, you want to try to find a Bible study? And, by the way, one of the most dangerous places for Christians to find themselves in our world today is in a Christian bookstore. Okay? Because it's filled, literally filled with unbiblical ideas because they market well. And stores have to stay in business. And if you want to know a little bit more about that, you can talk to Brother Chris Myrie back there who has a friend that has uh, uh, experience with that and knows about what that means, which is why you can't get good Bibles anymore because they just, no one's willing to pay for them. So, But you've, you've bought a Bible study and, and you've purchased it and you're so excited to start it and then you realize, boy, they don't really talk much Scripture here. You ever done that? They don't really talk much Scripture here. Why, why aren't they giving more of the text? That's because it won't sell. Gallup survey, July 6, 2022, so you can't say, well, that's too old, it doesn't apply anymore. A record low 20% of Americans now say the Bible is the literal word of God. Only 20%. That's down from 24% the last time the question was asked in 2017, just five years ago. Nearly a percentage a year drop. Half of what it was, see, 
and half of what it was at its high points in 1980. So it was, it's half. So it was as high as obviously 50%. And in 1984. Meanwhile, a new high of 29% say the Bible is a collection of fables. Not only have Americans cast it off as something uh, that they believe is the literal word of God, they now believe more, it's increasingly becoming more prevalent that the Bible is a collection of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by men. If I've heard that once, I've heard it a thousand times. And then I put in green for emphasis. This marks the first time significantly more Americans have viewed the Bible as not divinely inspired than as the literal word of God. So what about our initial question? Do we tremble at his word? We say, well, you got to part that out, preacher. Which group are you talking about? Well, obviously... We cannot expect lost people to tremble at the word of God. But we should expect his own people to. There's another poll. Kim McHenry has it. I have it. The state of theology in the church. And not quite yet, but a very growing percentage, approaching majority, no longer of evangelicals, those who profess to be born again, believe that the Scripture is inerrant either. And that's just dumb. For why would you read the Bible and confess to be a Christian if you really don't think that it is inerrant? Okay. Well, I think I've proven the fact that very few tremble at the Word of God. I think we understand that... (laughs) I can't get out of my head. The demons themselves believe and they tremble. What does it mean when you are more disrespectful than a demon? Well, let's look at the word hared then. And I know this is small, I'm sorry, but. Remember, we said, as it was said in Isaiah 66 too, those who tremble at my word, God will dwell with. And, and that is a literal quaking or shaking. And, and so what I want to do now is demonstrate to you verses in which the same word is used to just give you an idea and understanding of it. We find ourselves in Judges, 7, Judges chapter 7, verse 3 with Gideon. He's raising an army and uh, he's thinning it out. Okay, God doesn't need 20,000 people. He only needed 300. And really, he didn't need that. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid. Guess what word that translates to? Hared. Tremble. Let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But that word is used right there. It says they were fearful and they were afraid. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of getting skewered by swords of the Midianites. That's what they were afraid of. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. Because remember, they had taken it thinking they could use God as a trinket, 
and defeat the Philistines. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And we know what happened to Eli. He heard it and he fell backwards and broke his neck. But it says his heart trembled for the ark of God. He had a great reverence for the ark of God. He should have. He was a high priest. Okay. And then Ezra chapter 9 verse 4. Then everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel assembled to me. Now this, they've, they've, come, in, they, they've come back out of Babylon. And, and they aren't doing right again. <laughs> They're intermarrying with people of the land. They shouldn't be doing it. They, and, and it says then, Ezra writes, Then everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive. And I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. But here's this word, trembled again. He, he trembled, they trembled at the words of God. They were shaking. Now why? Because they were terrified of what they had done because they knew what God's word had said. In Ezra chapter 10 and verse 3. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. And in Isaiah 66 two, we obviously have read. And last one in verse 5 of this example of every occasion in the Old Testament where hared is used. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according uh, to the law. That just seems wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. That's very wrong. That's copy-paste gone awry. (laughs) Let me read to you what Isaiah 66, 5 says out of the Bible. Uh, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. That's what it says. You who tremble at his word. You brethren who, your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my namesake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy, but you shall be ashamed. But focusing in on, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at the word. So, to be clear, these passages demonstrate that to tremble is, a, is an involuntary physical response or great fear from great reverence of God and for God. That's what happens when we get under it. Used to. And I've seen this. And of course, I've had it happen in my own life. And you probably have seen it too. And, and especially back in time past when you would be teaching or preaching or witnessing sharing the gospel with people, and you could see conviction come upon them, and you could see the trembling begin to occur. It's been a long time, hadn't it? Or, as perhaps in your life, you've had someone come and share Scripture with you as a believer, showing you where you've been, and you begin to tremble. That's a grace of God that you should be thankful for. But, you think to yourself, I know probably know the first question you're asking is, so is God expecting me to read the Bible shaking like a leaf? Well, no. But He expects you to come reverentially when you pick up your Bible, when you speak forth the Word of God, when you handle it, when you mishandle it intentionally. I just mishandled it 
by copy-paste means. I didn't mean to, so I'm not worried about that one, okay? But what if I mishandled it intentionally? What if I mishandled it to use as a, as a, as a, uh, uh, a, a club in my hand to beat someone with? I should tremble how I handle the Scripture. So what does this convey to us on this side of the cross then? How, how does all of this really play out for us here? It means that we too should demonstrate with our lives a great reverence and fear of God by how we hold to the word. There should be a reverence. I'll never forget a story I heard years ago. I was driving the tractor, so I just have the mental scene in my head. Okay. Uh, and it was hot. But anyway. And so they were telling a story about uh, this, this young man was raised in a home where uh, they had a Bible. His dad was not a believer, but had the big family Bibles. The big family Bibles used to be present more in the foyers and the parlors of the homes, okay? And he was an older fellow, so they probably really had one. And well, they had a, his dad was not a believer, but mama was, okay? And there's lots of stories like that. And they had a friend come over one day for dinner. And the friend came over, and because it was the parlor, the friend, you know, men used to wear hats in those days. I don't know why we stopped. Maybe because of headrest and vehicles. Nonetheless, men wore hats. He came in, and instead of hanging his hat on the peg, he, laid it, he just laid it down on the family Bible. To which unbelieving dad quickly took it off the Bible and said, No, sir, we'll hang it right here. couple things. Unbelieving dad saw faith lived by believing wife. So much so that he had a a reverence or a respect at least for what we call the Bible. He saw its power lived out in her. Okay? And clearly the kids because this man was a preacher that was telling the story. There was a time in our nation where even unbelievers had a reverence for the Scripture. They wouldn't think to sully it. They may not have agreed with it, but they weren't going to to talk it down. Now look where we are. Here we are with grace through Christ And we see what we have in our abundance. And we're about to come apart at the seams. You realize that? I think of my life many times. I think too much, actually. Anyone else have a problem with thinking too much around here? Just to show a hands for an early, maybe a future support group. Okay. We're going to have a pretty large group. But I think, woe is me. Here I wake up with. Not a concern for the night or how it was spent. I did not get cold and have to put more wood on the fire. Okay? I, I, uh, I don't have to go out to the privy to, to, to first thing and when it's freezing. I can turn on the light. I've got my hot water that's just right there. I've even got an on-demand one, so I can stand in there all day. And then I put on my nice, comfortable, soft clothes 
Okay? I have two coats, in fact. One for the inside and one for the outside. And uh, I have my little special hat because, you know, I'm at a disadvantage. And I go about and I make my way to my kitchen, which is full of plenty. Woe is me. And I push the little button on my hot water kettle because it should be wrong to drink Folgers. And so I make a French press. Thank Some of you got it. And uh, I let it go and I'm like, oh, why does it have to take three minutes? And I, and I wait around there and I read my verse of the day on my cell phone that reminds me to read the verse of the day. Oh, finally it goes off and I pour it over my my little two tea, two tablespoons of coffee grounds. Then I got to wait four minutes. So I pull out my $1,000 phone. I don't know what it costs, but that's about what these things run anymore, which I think is a scam anyway. And it'll say, it knows in advance you're going to fix to hit four minutes because that's how long you steep good coffee. And I press that and I'm waiting again. So I stand there and I just look around in my house where everyone's safe and sound. And I think to myself, woe is me. Do I want onions in my eggs this morning? I don't want to have to cut them. And, but the butter's good. You see what I'm saying? And then I get in my car. Well, now sometimes that's changed a little bit. I got an 82 Ford and it's not like these new ones. It's like old times. You freeze. Okay. So that's all right. But then I come and so that's our life today. Right? I don't know of any of you here who are suffering. I want, I don't want it to take hardship to make me grateful that I can go after I have my coffee and sit down in that chair and read this till my heart is full without anyone finding it or putting me in jail because of it. I want to tremble at the word of God. Here's a New Testament picture that I want to close this out with today. I thought, Lord, how in the world do you marry this up to the New Testament? <laughs> how do you do that? Hebrews 4.12, very popular verse. We all know it, right? For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart, right? That, that's what we, we talk about the scripture that way. But notice the image of the two-edged sword. I like one commentator said, think of it more like a scalpel. It cuts deep. Notice verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. Now, if you didn't catch it, you just missed it. Let's go back. The word of God is the subject. The discerning part would be the verbs, one of the verbs here. A piercing is another. But then this word of God is referred to down here in verse 13 as His. You get that, what happened here? The word of God 
is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And then it says there is no creature hidden from His sight. Who's the Word? Jesus is the Word. Well, how do we know that? Because the analogy of Scripture. Revelation 19.15, another very popular verse. Now out of His mouth goes a sharp sword. That, it may, that he should strike the nations with it. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. If you go back to the last verse, we have what the Word of God is like. We have him referred to in a divine pronoun as a his. And then we have Jesus, as we know from John 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now we have this, this, Jesus has a sword in His mouth. Now, look, Revelation is written with symbols. It says so in Revelation 1.1. These things were signified by the angel is where we get the word symbol from. So there's not this sword literally coming out, like, like uh, and there's a sword. But His Word, his, what He speaks, slays. At the, at the battle, in, in the end, at, at, when God deals with His enemies, He's not going to slay them with a physical sword that comes out of His mouth. He's going to speak. Well, that reminds me of how it started out. God spoke. Well, as you know, Revelation, apocalyptic language, John borrows a lot from Ezekiel and Isaiah, Daniel. Look here, Isaiah 11:4. But with the righteousness, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. What's that? His word. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Now, if you haven't caught it, a couple things. The Word of God that we should tremble at, we should tremble because it, it slices in deep. And it'll expose you for who you are. Yeah, hallelujah. It's a grace of God, isn't it? And when you read it, how many of you have ever been doing your Bible study and suddenly the Spirit convicts you through what you've just read to know, oh man, I did that. I did that. I got to deal with that. So you know what you got to do today. The Word encourages. How many times have you been reading your Bible looking for hope and bam, the Scripture just speaks to you and may the God of all hope fill you with all hope and peace and believing and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right? We should tremble at this word because this word is not just paper and ink in a typeset. We're talking about trembling before God. And, 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 and more specifically, the second person of the Trinity who is the living, breathing Lagos. Tremble. Tremble. 
just that one right there, if that's not enough. I, he treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. How does he do that? He speaks it. I'm going to close by reading out of the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. This is uh, section 1 verse 4. It says, The authority of the Scriptures obligates belief in them. (laughs) If you just stopped right there. Did you get what it just said? The authority of the Scriptures obligate belief in them. Well, where does authority come from for a book? We have a name for it. The word author. Right? The author of this book obligates belief in them. <laughs> the, this authority does not depend on the testimony of any person or church, but on God, the author alone, who is truth itself. God is truth. Therefore, The scriptures are to be received because they are the word of God. And of course, there's a litany of scriptures that goes with that condensed statement. I want you to think this week as you go out, how am I interacting with my Bible? In other words, how am I interacting with the word of God? In other words, when I come to Jesus and I read his word, is there a disconnect going on? Or do I see them as one? See what I mean? When I, when, I, when I ask him to reveal to me what he would have me do or, or counsel me, do I see him in the scriptures speaking to me? Do I tremble? If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I pray that God has been gracious to you to make you tremble. To give you that gift. Because even repentance itself, according to Scripture, is a gift of God. And if He has allowed you to tremble, to see your undoneness, then cry out to God in mercy and say, Mercy, Lord, on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. He will. Because He's draws near and he's next to those who are broken, who are humble, and who tremble at his word. JT's going to lead us in some music here as he does. This is a time to just reflect on what you've heard, to ask those hard questions, but most of all, listen to what the Scriptures say to you, what the Spirit is saying through the scriptures to you and then respond accordingly.